Hello and welcome to Value Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and today I'm joined by guest Romeo Cabrera Arevelo to talk about data science in the metaverse. Romeo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Genevieve. I'm so uh, excited and humbled by this opportunity. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Romeo is a senior AI and computer vision researcher and engineer at Immersed, the world's first professional metaverse. He is also an AI and tech advisor to the board of Laboratorio IA and has lectured in the Masters of Data Science program at the Polytechnic Institute in his home country of Ecuador. So Romeo is working very much at the cutting edge of data science, and that's something I plan on exploring during this episode. But before we go too far in that direction, uh, Romeo, could you start by telling us a bit about how you first became interested in data science and AI? So I've been always interested in computers since a very early age, when I was five, six years old. All the kids in the neighborhood had their Nintendos, their, their video games, consoles. But on my side, my, my dad, he brought us an, an Atari, a programmable computer. Uh, he used to, to buy some magazines. I'm talking about the mid-80s or late-80s. And these magazines, you would like, copy, write down whatever code was featured in the magazine. It's like the game of the month. Okay, you now can kill uh, aliens or, or whatever, and you have to write down, <laughs> let's say, hundreds of lines of code, right? So that was my first approach to computing, and I discovered that I could <laughs> uh, change whatever uh, code was featured in this magazine to my liking. And, oh, in that way, my, my love affair <laughs> with computing started. So from that very early age, I knew I, I wanted to dedicate my, my life to, to that. I got admitted an undergrad computer engineering program in my home country. I'm from Ecuador. And after that, I immediately started a, a professional career there in, in, in Ecuador and working for very large corporations. First, I worked for the the largest uh, telecommunications uh, company in the country, uh, Claro, first at, as a software engineer, then as a technical project manager. I stayed there like uh, 12 years. Everything I learned about uh, computing, large companies, uh, project management, I, I learned there. But at some point, I knew I wanted to learn more. I've always been in love with data. It was 2016 when I decided to pursue a master's of science degree in Georgia Institute of Technology. There I met Jen Biff. We were, I, I'm guessing we were classmates in at least a couple of classes. After finishing my master's degree, then I started working now as a data scientist. So I moved to the largest bank in my country. And at first I was like a little afraid of something, you know, banking sounds something but at the end of the day, I, I noticed that banking finance is just applied math. <laughs> you know, you know, because you, you do uh, something similar, uh, Genvit. 
at that point, point that was data science, no, my, 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 my true love maybe. But it, then again, I would say data science, machine learning is just applied computing, applied mathematics. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I started off in the finance direction and then moved away from finance. So I think it's a good place to start if you're going into data science. And clearly, it's data science is a good springboard for banking. When I, I changed my career, when I uh, got in, into this bank, I noticed there were like two kinds, two types of data scientists. It's like the, the economists, you know, the, the finance people yeah. who, okay, who got, get to learn the, the technical uh, tools, the programming languages. And the other side of the coin, it was my case, the computing people who had to learn how to understand the the business domain, in this case, banking, uh, finance. So I, I noticed that the, this bank was full of uh, economists, uh, m- even m- mathematicians, right? But they needed like the, the other side of, of the coin, right? Yeah. They needed someone who, who knew about the uh, architecture, uh, optimization uh, of code, software engineering uh, principles, and that kind of stuff. Out of interest, which ones were more successful? Was it the ones who started off with the domain knowledge and had to learn the computer science side or the ones who started off with the software engineering knowledge and had to learn the domain side? I'd say it was a, a perfect, and they say a, a match made in heaven, right? Yeah. Because I should, I always reach out to my, my colleagues, my economists, um, mathematicians. I would ask them, you are the expert, so... What's the, the concept that I should implement, right? What's the, the core knowledge? And the other way around, maybe they, they had the, the idea, but they would implement a very inefficient solution. I remember some economists who had the, the perfect solution for some kind of issue, but it's like he created a, a cascading uh, four loops. It would take like, uh, like 18 hours to, to finish a, a job through all the, the database. And I, okay, there's this concept in NumPy called uh, parallelization. So this finishes in, in five minutes and, and everyone was, wow, how can you? No, this is something that, that we com- computer science uh, people, we know about this, but it's also the, the other way around. I had no idea about some very deep, economic theory concepts that they were applying. So we needed each other. What you're saying about parallelization, um, it took me about 12 months into my degree and my master's degree in order to learn about that. And it totally blew my mind when I discovered it. No, no, that, that, that's, that's uh, exactly the, the thing. There are other things like, for example, uh, most uh, economists would learn and then use R, for example, mm. it's not much more efficient. I know it can be done, but things like software engineering, you know, uh, code reuse, uh, libraries, to make your, your code easy to, to maintain, it's, it's hard when the language is not, uh, that's not the, the tool, that's not the, the why this language was invented. Uh, I don't know, let's say R was done, created for quick prototyping, obviously, Later on, some add-ons were uh, developed. That, that's not the, the tool for the job, right? Yeah. So I, I'd say that's the, the things you, you notice when you start working in, in, the, in the industries. And how did you go from working at the bank to working at Immersed? 
Oh, that's a, a very, a very good, a very great question. It looks like totally out of the, the field, right? Yeah. So the, the thing is, then again, the Georgia Tech uh, master's degree, there uh, I met this, this guy, this brilliant uh, man, uh, Renji, Renji Bijoy. Maybe you, you have seen, you have read about him. And he was, he is <laughs> a founder. He had his startup. And we met in, in classes, as they say, in, in classes, but we are talking about, you know, uh, uh, internet forums, Piazza, Google Plus. I guess at some point you have talked about this master's degree in your podcast or maybe in, in next episodes, but it's interesting how even, you know, um, online, you know, remote, but you got to, to make, right, uh, connections, even friendships and mm. relationships. So uh, Renji, noticing my, my work, my, my skills, my, my background, he always invited me, invited me to, to join his startup. I met him in 2016, 17, when I was pursuing this degree. But at some point in life, a little later, uh, it made sense for me to accept his proposition. He explained, he explained that he was working on his startup, right? In, <laughs> at that point, it, it like blew my, my mind. It came out, you know, like something... Uh, that I had no, no idea exactly what he was talking about. He said, okay, you have heard about these headsets, virtual reality headsets? I said, yes, kind of. I'm talking about uh, early 2021, 20, right? More than a year uh, ago. And he said, okay, most of, of the people, most of developers, companies are leveraging, are using uh, VR technology for entertainment, right? But I have this vision that VR can also be used for uh, productivity, for business, for the enterprise. So what do you say? Do you want to, to join me? And it sounded like a, a very tempting uh, proposal because as I told you, going back to, to that, that history from a very early age, I was in love with all about technology, the, the bleeding edge. To be honest, at some point, I was feeling, okay, I'm working with numbers, uh, financials, economy, signals. I want to do something like, you know, more out of this world, you know, you say, what can I say? Uh, wow, virtual reality, computer vision, because we had a computer vision class in, in the master's program, you, you remember? Yeah, I took that as well. I took that, but I never had the, the opportunity. And I told Renji, okay, we were maybe classmates, and maybe you noticed that I... Uh, had a, a very high uh, <laughs> score in that class, but I never did any computer vision professionally. And he said, that's not a problem. It's just a matter, you know, different business domains, but the core principles are, are the same. And maybe, who knows, fresh eyes, something, someone from a different industry coming here and trying to solve problems with a different mindset would be very helpful. So. That's, that's what happened. I went through a, a, a coding challenge. It's not like I, I had just the, the job for, for free. I went through a challenge. I, I was a little, I don't know, had, I had some doubts. Would I like working in, the, in, this, in this thing? I, would I like doing computer vision? Obviously, I, I had already completed this course 
this class in the master's degree, but it was very different professionally. So I went to this coding challenge. I'd say it was like uh, two-sided because they were assessing whether or not I was uh, a good fit. And on my side, I also decided, okay, I'm, am I enjoying this thing I'm working on? Am I liking it? And I did enjoy it. It was very cool to, to see in real time how, you know, how the, the webcam uh, captures movement, detects features in your face, in your hand or whatever. Wow. Now let's opti optimize it. It is detecting at 10 frames per second. Can you do it at 20, 30? So that kind of stuff was uh, challenging for, for me. And it, it, I, I love it. I loved it. So at that point, I decided, okay, was enough corporate life. Let's go to the startup life. So, so right from the coding challenge onwards, you're expected to have an understanding of computer vision. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. And had your master's adequately prepared you for that? Or did you have to look stuff up um, to even get through that coding challenge? Yes, to, to be more, more precise, more exactly, it was like a take-home coding challenge. It's not like, okay, you have this screen, now you have two hours and... No, 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 it wasn't exactly like that. And that's why I'm saying I, I love this style. To be honest, I went through, you know, some hiring processes for other big name companies when you do this whiteboard and, and whatever. It can be, can feel so stressful, right? But I, I, I love this, this way to, to do things, it's like a take-home challenge. And, and even if I didn't like have the, the experience, I, I was for some time also uh, a mentor in Udacity. Have you heard mm -hmm. about, I was yeah. a, a mentor, so I had some knowledge of, of computer vision libraries, uh, deep, deep learning networks and, and that kind of, of stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're now working pretty much fully immersed uh, in the metaverse. Yes, yes, that's exactly what we're doing. Then, then again, uh, using the, the metaverse, using XR technology, why XR, why not VR? I will explain that later. <laughs> using XR technology to make people more productive, to help people do their, their job. I'm going to come back to that uh, and ask you about that in a minute, but mm -hmm. I just want to take a step back because I know um, my parents listen to this podcast and I know the question that they're going to ask is, what's the metaverse? So for anyone like my parents out there, um, could you explain uh, to the listeners what is meant by the metaverse? Yes, I, I know people can just go to their uh, cell phones, their computer and, and Google, what is the, the metaverse? But I know that's not what uh, you're looking for. So I will just uh, explain uh, how I understand it, how I would explain to my parents, as, as you said, yeah. right? So we all know about the, the internet. So many people say the metaverse is the next iteration of the, the internet. At the beginning, the internet was just uh, text, just letters, you know, uh, IRC channels, chat channels or news groups or sending email. That was basically the, the internet. That's um, web one, right? We could say that, but we can go to web one, two, three in, in a minute. I'm in, in agreement with you. A very first iteration, just text, right? 
And at some point, I would say one of the most uh, revolutionary paradigms was the, the World Wide Web, right? The HTML protocol. Why? Because in that moment, okay, it's not only about text, it's only also graphics, uh, images, right? What was the next evolution? I remember the very first time that uh, a video file was embedded into a, a website. I remember I, I thought, this is nonsense. This is crazy. This is useless. Why would I want a, web, a video in my website? I need to wait for it to download. No, no, no. This makes no, no sense. But you know where we are <laughs> nowadays with, with YouTube and all that kind of video uh, applications and video websites. But I, I would say that at the very beginning, given the, the broadband, the capacity, obviously it was so, so hard for, for users, but that was the next evolution. So I'm saying the, the metaverse is the next iteration, the next uh, evolution from the internet. Not, it, now it's not only about text, not only about images, not only about video, but it's also about presence. So having your presence into a, a virtual world, which you can share, where you can interact with virtual elements and also real er elements. So I'm saying that's the, the metaverse. And most of the time, um, most of the applications we've seen of this so far, they're mostly video games. Yes. Uh, in fact, many people say one of the original metaverses is Second Life. You know, it's kind of a virtual world where you can see uh, as a third person view of someone who is moving around, walking, interacting, talking with other people. People would uh, teach classes, would make friends, would sell, maybe even buy and sell goods in, in this metaverse. So in, in a way, a, a metaverse, it's just that. It's a, it's a virtual world where you can interact with other people. You can do your activities. But I would say that there's, there is a goal. I'm coming back again to, to the beginnings of, of the internet, right? At the very beginnings of the internet, there existed computer networks isolated, you know, in the academia and the military, right, uh, universities. But the internet was born when they all decided, okay, we should uh, be able to communicate to, to each other. So a common protocol was defined so that different networks could communicate between each other. So what's the goal, right, for, for this metaverse evolution that all these virtual worlds, there could be a way for them to communicate to each other. So we won't say about, okay, the metaverse from uh, Facebook meta, uh, Second Life, Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox, there should exist some protocol, some way, so that if you uh, have an experience, if you participate in some kind of environment, you could seamlessly, the same way the websites work, you could seamlessly interact, move, talk with users from one metaverse and the other metaverse. So you would have the metaverse, right? Making a, a parallel to the, to the internet. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. So it'd be sort of like um, you could walk down a virtual street and at this location in the street, you'd find the Facebook metaverse. And next door to that, it'd be, I don't know, the Roblox metaverse 
or the immersed metaverse or something like that. Is that correct? Yes, that's the, the main goal, but there are challenges to that. What's the main challenge? Go, let's go back to the, the beginnings of the internet. There was a, a reason, there were incentives for universities, for the military to interconnect. Why? Because they all were uh, government funded, right? There mm. was a, a way, there, wa- there was a way to make it easier <laughs> to, to develop this kind of protocol. But nowadays, you know, it's very different because every metaverse, there's a very large corporation, a very big company behind them, right? So each one of them has, you know, the, the motivation to, to say or to think, okay, I want my metaverse to be the, the one which succeeds. So that's the, the challenge we developers are, are facing. There's some initiatives like the, for example, the Open uh, Metaverse Consortium, I think that's the, the name where some companies have gathered together and said, okay, let's put aside our personal interest and let's try to develop a, a protocol, right? For, for the good of the, the people, mm-hmm. for the good of the society. But I'm hoping we will reach that point at, at some moment. But in the meantime, right, it's like everyone is developing their thing on, on their side. And I will speak very briefly about Immerse. I have uh, mentioned that we are developing a, a metaverse, an application for productivity. And one example of interoperability would be that uh, this app, Immerse, works not only for the, the MetaQuest uh, headset, not only for MetaQuest devices, it's also available for the uh, HTC platform. HTC develops a, a, a Vive, I think it's name, Vive, a Vive uh, headset, and we will soon release uh, a version for the, the Pico headset. The Pico headset is uh, a product of ByteDance. If you haven't heard about ByteDance, you may have heard about uh, TikTok. ByteDance is the company which owns TikTok. It's a very large com- corporation in China. So they just released a couple of months ago, ago their Pico headset. So we are very soon releasing uh, our app in, for the Pico platform. So as you are you're seeing, okay, what's our goal to have interoperability, right? Another example of, of this, it's uh, avatars. If you use Meta, Meta's platform, they provide some kind of avatars. They have their design. Mm. You create the face, clothes, uh, apparel, uh, facial hair, whatever, within their platform. There are other third-party vendors. There's some uh, company. It's very famous in this space. They are called uh, Ready Player Me. Ready Player Me develops or provides an avatar platform for companies, for uh, game developers. So for example, let's say you are a game developer. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing or dedicating engineering time to create yet another <laughs> avatar system, you would just reuse this avatar system from 3D Player Me, and you would just focus on developing your game, right? So there's this company. So Immerse has uh, provide support for both kinds, both types of avatars. MetaQuest avatars and Ready Player Me avatars. If you join a, a room in Mars, a collaboration room, 
you can see people with one kind of avatar and the other kind of avatar. It's, it's very cool. So there are companies, and I won't say we are the only one, right? Um, but there are companies who are working hard to make this uh, interoperability work. So if I had an avatar in one platform, I could look exactly the same in every single platform. Is that what you're saying? If the software, if the, the product supports it. In our case, yes, we, we are doing this. So we are hoping, right, that many more uh, developers create this kind of software of, or experiences where all different platforms and vendors are supported. There's some uh, protocol for developing, which is called OpenXR, right? Yeah. If you develop your your application using these principles, using this framework, OpenXR, it's super easy to, to just port it from one platform to, to another. And you're going to explain before, why is it XR and not VR? Oh, okay. So uh, I would say XR is an umbrella term which considers VR, what is VR? Virtual reality. Let's say you mm -hmm. put your, your headset in, in, in this uh, <laughs> in this bedroom, but if I put my headset, my headset on, I would be in a beach or maybe I'm in a space uh, spaceship. Maybe I'm in the moon, I'm in a whatever in, in the world, this uh, virtual environment shows to me, right? This is virtual reality. But there are other uh, applications for, for this uh, technology. This is exactly the one I, I like the most. There, there's also augmented and mixed reality, right? Mm -hmm. What is augmented reality? Let's say you are, uh, I don't know, you are walking around a, a new city. Maybe you are in, in, in Paris, you are in, in some museum, and you use your, nowadays you can do this. You can use your mo mobile phone, and you can see, okay, what's the name of this? building, what's the name of this portrait in this museum of this or, or that? You can see in your uh, mobile phone, right, like an overlay over the reality, you can see some statistics and uh, description labels or whatever. Or a Pokemon in the case of Pokemon Go. Exactly that. Uh, Pokemon Go, you can, you're augmenting the reality with these virtual uh, elements, right? So that's uh, AR, uh, augmented reality. There's something else that is called uh, mixed reality. What is mixed reality? For example, let's say I get into, uh, I go to my, uh, my office, right? Say in my office, there's a desk. I sit at this desk by myself or all along. But if I put on my headset, I can see on each of the seats, right? There are my, my colleagues, they're, they're avatars, right? And I can see maybe there's a, a whiteboard, maybe I can see the, the window, it's a shiny day outside, and I can see the, this mixture of real life elements and the virtual world. How does this work? This headset feature a mode called pass-through mode. This pass-through mode is exactly as it sounds. You put your headsets on and you would see the real world. But over the real world, there's augmented these virtual elements from other worlds or other experiences. So that's a, 
a, a very useful way to take advantage of, of this technology. Because I, I would say, why? I understand some people might, may think, but that's not something very new or different. You would just, as we are doing right now, open a, a Zoom call. Mm -hmm. You can have a, a Zoom call, a Zoom meeting with, I don't know, let's say 10 people. And you would see 10 little squares on your screen. Yeah. But there are, there are studies. Have you heard about Zoom, Zoom fatigue? I, I haven't heard any studies about it, but um, having lived through the COVID lockdowns, I understand what you mean by Zoom fatigue. Yeah, exactly that. It's like you keep seeing people all, all around. And what does and this, what do these studies say? That it's like you can focus on, on one specific person, you can concentrate, you you lose lots of uh, visual elements, visual mm -hmm. cues, uh, body language, something else. Let's say you have a, a team, a remote team, maybe, I don't know, let's say a typical team, it's eight members, eight people, right? You wouldn't keep your Zoom, your Zoom call open for, let's say, four hours, six hours during the day, right? Right now, today, we have co-working sessions with uh, community members, with users in Immerse, where they would stay four, six hours into this metaverse, and people just do the same that they would do in real life. It's like they are each one of them in their computers and they, oh, and did you hear this story about, oh, yes, right. Oh, what happened with your, uh, with your son, with your daughter? She had this problem. You told me the other day, oh, someone would uh, tell a joke. They all would, would laugh. So it's some kind of interaction that is enhanced or it's, it's make, made easier by the fact that you have this presence, that you can move around, you can not you can say yes with your body you can move your hands you can show uh, i don't know that you're happy that you are maybe not so happy so it's something you have to to live you have to experience to make sense of it okay so so that's actually a good segue into how does immerse differ from your average um video game type metaverse so it sounds like it's uh office environment in the metaverse is that right yes let me explain how how does it work if you have your laptop right mm -hmm. your laptop your, your laptop screen many times you're limited obviously to this physical uh, piece of hardware and you may know many uh, computing people many software engineers their dream uh, setup is a uh, you know their computer and one, two, three, four, five screens that yeah. they have the, the code on one side, they have a, maybe a, a video, a music video playing on the other side. There's a screen dedicated to documentation, maybe. But we, we thought, okay, what, what about making, making sense, taking advantage of virtual reality and saying, okay, in virtual reality, you can have as many screens as you want. Would that be possible? It was tried and, and it worked. You would take your, your headset, connect your headset to your laptop, and your laptop has the ability to stream up to five uh, virtual screens in VR. So you could go to, I don't know, to, to your beach house. Maybe you have a, a house in the beach or a vacation place, or you go to a cafe, 
or you visit some friend uh, in a co-working place, you do not have to carry around your laptop and one, two, three, four, five screens. You only need your laptop and your headset, and then you have as, as many screens as the, as the CPU and GPU power of your laptop allows. So let's say that's the, the solo case, right? You're working by yourself and doing that provides benefits to, to users, right? First, as I'm saying, additional screens, people can work in a much more productive fashion. They don't have to switch tasks. They would just move around, see, okay? And that's one advantage. And the other advantage, it's the, the focusing, right? What I'm saying, it's like you can tune out the external world, right? Maybe there are people coming in and out. That would happen with my kids. Sometimes I would work in my living room or, or maybe at the, at the dining table. I would put on my headset, would immerse in some kind of, I don't know, maybe let's say a, a spaceship or some environment. And the kids would go one way and another. I would not notice because I'm just focused on this experience. We have noticed, we have uh, heard reports from our users. There are even people with conditions like ADHD. They have difficulties for focusing, for concentrating. Some user even mentioned this app has changed my, my life because there was no way for me to concentrate for more than one minute doing a, a job, doing some work in my computer. Because the, the, the wind, uh, some person, anything that would move around would take me out of this uh, focus zone. Thanks to, to this app, now I'm able to, to do 30 minutes, one hour interrupted with no interruptions works. That was mind-blowing from, from us when we heard uh, those reports. Then again, talking only about the, the solo mode, right? The individual uh, mode. Some people would say, I have some kind of physical condition. For example, I can uh, sit in a right position, right? Maybe what would they do? They would uh, lay down on some kind of, of bed or some kind of uh, horizontal position and they would use their headset, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe, obviously, this is a, a podcast. You can see what I'm doing, but it's like I'm laying down, right? With my fingers using a keyboard and these people said, wow, there's, there's no, no way I could have done this uh, before. But now, thanks that I have your, your app and this headset, I can change positions, I can lay down horizontally and use again my, my computer. So it's, you know, a, a great feeling to, to understand that we are impacting uh, in a positive way the, the lives of so many people. One of the thing, ways in which I can see this being very advantageous is a lot of offices keep on trying to cram more and more people into a smaller and smaller space. Worked in several organisations where every time they get new desks, the new desks are smaller than the last ones. You always ended up with that sense of being really mm -hmm. cramped and way too close to the person next to you. I would imagine that something like this would be fantastic in that it would give you a much greater sense of space in the office. You have reminded me of some user from, I think, South Korea or Japan. Mm. You can imagine, you can, you can think uh, space in, in those locations is 
not that of a, you know, that mm. easy to, to find. And some user in Twitter uh, shared a, a picture. He said, this is my, my workspace. He showed us a, a desk, a very, very <laughs> small desk. It's almost like only his laptop and his mouse would fit into, into this desk. And he said, thanks to you, I can use up to five screens and do this kind of work that I wouldn't be able to if I was using just the physical space that was available to me. That was, I think, his, his apartment, not, not even his workplace. He, he was, I think, an uh, entrepreneur, uh, a freelancer. As you're saying, in, in VR, you don't have those limitations, right? You can take advantage of, of technology. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, so it's like creating a little pocket reality for every single user. Mm-hmm, exactly that. And, and then again, I know, I understand, many people say, well, no, but the metaverse, you are... I don't know, isolating yourself from reality, from real people, from this and that. And as we used to say, we are not aiming for people to stay 24-7 connected to to your headset or doing uh, this kind of activities all the time. It's the other way around. It's like we want people to be more productive so they have more, more time available to spend with their friends and family in real life. Why not? So that's something... Important, I, I wanted to, to share and say. So it's sort of like, um, I know when I've worked in an open plan office, every single person in the office is wearing their headphones in order to basically cut out the office noise. Um, if you're working in this virtual reality environment, you could put on your headset while you're at work to um, create this immersive environment. And then when you want to interact with people, you take off your headset and you can go and interact face-to-face with someone. Yes, that's one use case. But then again, remember when I mentioned this pass-through mode, when you are in this pass-through mode, you, can, you do not need to take your headset off because you, can, you have the ability to, to see through it, right? And we have tested that, that mode. It's kind of cool. It's like you, you are sitting down at your, at your desk, working with your laptop, Maybe you have two, three screens, you have some kind of or chart or report or a very wide uh, Excel spreadsheet. So, oh, I want to show this to you go walk to some other place and you sit down with a colleague. Okay, as I'm seeing in this Excel sheet, this and this and this, you can, so you sit, move, interact, talk, walk. It, it's kind, kind of cool, right? And then again, I always, I always mention, you know, the, the downsides, always mention the criticisms because I think they, they're valid. Many people say, but these devices are so, so heavy. They are maybe uncomfortable. I would, I, I would kind of agree, you know, but I would say that technology does not come out of nowhere, right? It's not, not like the, the iPhone appeared out of, Thing air. Do, do you remember the, the very first uh, mobile phones, like the, the bricks on your, your ears? So there was an, an evolution. There was some kind of, of path we had to, to go through to be able to have the, the cell phones, the, the mobile devices that today we are enjoying. And then again, we do not expect for people to, to put this tissue box on their face, this 
I don't know how would you call it, maybe even a, a brick again, but now a brick on, on your eyes. But technology is, is getting there, right? It's getting there. And I think that software should go through this very same journey. And I'm proud to say that Immerse is one of the, the pioneers and we will be there the moment these devices become even thinner, even lighter, even more comfortable than they are today. Since this is a data science podcast, I'm very interested in exploring the role that data science and machine learning uh, play are currently playing and are likely to play in the metaverse. How are you currently using data science and machine learning in your job at Immersed? There are many applications, but I would focus on computer vision because as you can remember, as you know, Genevieve's computer photography, it's not the same as computer vision. When we talk about computer vision, it's about giving sense, right? The computer making sense of what it is. Okay, this is a dog. This is a cat. Mm. Oh no, this is a, a hand. This is a hand doing this or that gesture. And we can think about uh, the, the challenges that perception uh, brings because let's say within your headset, let's say in virtual reality, you can see your hand interacting with some kind of object, with some kind of uh, UI or menu or element. But let's say you watch this in your headset with some kind of delay, maybe one second, half a second, even one third, one fourth, one fifth of, of a second is enough for the illusion to, to tear down. You, everything fails, it, it doesn't work. So there has to be some kind of performance level for this detection to, to be done. So that's where technologies like deep learning networks, right? Uh, image detection, feature detection, real time. So you have to, to do uh, embedded systems, some kind of model that you would maybe uh, create, train model in Python. But at the end of the day, if you want it to be super high performance, you have maybe to translate to, to C, to mm. C++. So that kind of, of thing is, is what, what it's done at, at this moment. Let's say, I don't know, I want to detect my, my, my mock my coffee mug to be able to, to see it, to remember where it is placed. Maybe mm. I have some kind of a virtual whiteboard and I want in real life for the headset cameras to understand, okay, my hand is doing this and to imitate this movement in, in real life. Or maybe it's a camera. As you can see me right now, this is a, a 2D space, right? We don't know the perception, the, the depth. This is the, the very same uh, 2D position right? But the depth is different in 3D space. So how can we make sense in real time of fingers, positions, movement, and, and so on? Do you do your work in Python or in C++ or both? So kind of both, if I may say. Uh, when you do prototyping, you need to validate a hypothesis. You, you want to create a, a model and to understand whether or not it will or will not work you mostly do that working in Python, right? Because mm -hmm. Python is very easy to, to understand, to, to modify, to just change some lines. You, you know, you know about it. Okay, but once you, you got this model, 
it is whatever you you want it to to do okay the next step is to make it uh, high performance to make it run maybe even real time so for that you would need to to translate or maybe some uh, steps in the pipeline to translate to to C to, to C++ for so so we can understand this headset run some kind of uh, Android, kind of uh, Android uh, modified operating system. So it has to be uh, adapted to this kind of architecture. With the algorithms that you're using, are they the sorts of algorithms that you would have learned as part of your master's? Or are you using some sort of fancy cutting edge algorithm that's way beyond anything you ever learned? I'd say it's both. It's both because obviously the the basics the the core you know the the main concepts are just the the same as you can remember okay detecting features translation in from some uh, uh, perspective from some point of view from some angle that kind of stuff uh, and linear algebra that kind of stuff you <laughs> There's no way you can escape from that. But at the other side, obviously there are things like uh, deep learning, right? You ha- may have heard about uh, transformers and nerves, right? That kind of technology that if you follow the, all the advancements of the journals and papers, there's something new every week, I would say not even every month. So it, it's hard to, to be up to date in this, but at the same time, I would say that it's very exciting to to make part to be part of of this. So, do you actually um, hand code um, algorithms in order to implement the things that you've read about in those papers? How how, how could how could I say? Okay, it's like then again, two two sides of the the coin. Maybe it depends on on the situation. Sometimes you have to implement something very specific to your use case, specific to your need. Maybe for that, obviously, you don't do it everything from scratch. Maybe you, you would see or you would detect, okay, there's some paper that is doing something very similar to what we do, to what we need to do, but we need to apply this to other uh, domain. I don't know. Let's say maybe, okay, they are doing this for face recognition. Maybe we could do use it for hands recognition or for legs or for whole body, for example, right? Or at the same time, Maybe there are some uh, there's some code or some uh, algorithm that is exactly that we need and we would we need to do is as you can think uh, <laughs> academic code academic uh, research it's not exactly production ready mm-hmm. right yeah so we would need to take that that code right obviously I'm talking about uh, open source uh, code made available by the others, take that and, and make it work for a uh, professional level. So I'd say it's two, two kind of work that needs to, to be done. And, and I mean, obviously your area of expertise is computer vision, but does Immersed also have people working on the natural language side? Because I could imagine that one of the big advantages of the metaverse would be that it could help break down language barriers. So you could have, um, for example, your native language is Spanish, mine's English. Uh, we could have a conversation where you're talking in Spanish and I'm hearing you in English and vice versa. 
Yes, yes, yes. Uh, exactly that. I, maybe I, I can't be uh, specific about what the, the company is working on, right? Uh, besides of whatever features have already been released, but I would talk you know, generally the, the metaverse, as, as I mentioned before, and I agree uh, 100%. Uh, that's the vision to be able to join an environment, whatever language other people are talking, I would just tune and the, the algorithm, whatever model would have the ability to auto-detect, okay, they are speaking in this language, my native language is Spanish, it's English, okay, you will hear this audio. The same thing that you can do today with Google Translate, right? But Google Translate does it for text. You would input some text in Google Translate and it would, okay, auto-detect, output uh, translation. So, so that's the goal. And if you go through some uh, papers, through some uh, recent uh, developments, there are there are some some models which allow for for lip audio translation. So I would say just a, a matter of making it work with the CPU power of this headset. Uh, another solution would be to put this code, this model, in the cloud and do live translation in the cloud but then again in the cloud means latency means okay around lip mm -hmm. means time so would that make sense would that work or not so uh, at that point i would say the data science problem turns into an engineering problem more more like a more than a data science problem because then again you have to think about uh, latency servers uh, performance uh, embedding into the headset and that kind of stuff so it's, it's very Interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's well beyond your average data scientist, though. Yes. So then again, it's a marriage, right, between yeah. the people who know the the modeling, because you can have some someone who is has all the knowledge in the world about natural language processing, but maybe this this person doesn't know anything about network performance, latency, mm. C plus. Maybe he doesn't even know what is C plus plus. I'm yeah. just exaggerating, right? But you, you know what, what I'm trying to, to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you need a team in order to implement any of these things. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Okay. And now I've been waiting this whole episode to ask you this. Uh, we mm -hmm. need to talk about Mark Zuckerberg's legs. I'm not sure if you saw this in the news recently. So mm -hmm. with a lot of the images that you see of the metaverse, you just see the torsos of people without their legs. And Mark Zuckerberg recently made this announcement that um, Facebook or Meta had managed to crack um, the problem of being able to show people's legs in the metaverse. And he mm -hmm. did a video of him jumping up and down while wearing the virtual reality goggles. And there was a lady in the video who was doing, you know, karate kick type things. Mm -hmm. And then about two days later, uh, Meta issued a statement very quietly saying, well, actually, we haven't solved the problem. Um, this was all done using motion capture and, yeah, we just faked it. Why is it that it's so difficult to give avatars legs in the metaverse? <laughs> yeah, people say it's like what Mark showed was a, a proof of concept, right? Mm. <laughs> no, no, not exactly the, the real thing. It's like, okay, this is how we, <laughs> we are trying to solve the, the problem. But I, I would say why it is so hard, because then again, if you remember how this 
stuff works, how the, the headset works, right? You have this device in your face, on your face, right? Yeah. This device uh, has uh, like four or five cameras. What are the cameras used for? They used to capture the movement of your hands, right? Now, nowadays, we are moving towards using your hands as input devices, as controllers, because maybe I would say uh, a generation before, it was all about these uh, physical controllers. You would use these controllers, which the headset would detect. But nowadays, again, taking advantage of deep learning uh, algorithms and models, you can detect a, a hand in, in real time. But these cameras do not have the ability to capture your, your whole body, right? It's just some portion, just a part of your whole self, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to capture all of yourself, you would need a, a third view angle. You would need a, a third view camera pointing towards your, your body. Someone would say, okay, but let's just maybe show artificial legs. But it has been shown that it wouldn't feel natural, right? Yeah. You heard about the, the Uncanny Valley? No, I haven't. No, the, the Uncanny Valley, it's some kind of effect that it's mostly uh, when you talk about uh, animation, right? So the concept is that when you do some kind of model, some kind of uh, cartoon, some kind of depiction of a real person, the closer this image, the closer this depiction is to a real face, it feels uncanny, it feels unnatural. It feels like, no, there's, there's no soul <laughs> in, this, in those eyes, right? Yeah. It is yeah. fake, right? That's why, for example, you, I don't know, Pixar or Disney cartoons, they show... Uh, these characters with very large eyes and a big nose because they, they are not aiming for reality because they have noticed that the closer to reality, it doesn't feel good. So, for example, the, the Polar Express, it's one classic example of, of um, the Uncanny Valley going, going wrong because it wouldn't feel... Uh... So then again, if you try to imitate reality, giving legs, giving artificial legs to someone, it would feel uh, unsettling. It would feel unnatural. So if you don't have the real thing, I would say it's better to, to just avoid it. And maybe at this point, of going back to, to my previous point, when I, I said we were on a journey, right? This is not the, the end of the road. We are on a journey. I would say at this point of the journey, it's cool that we are focusing on, on hands. We're focusing even on your face, I don't know if you are aware, Jambib, uh, but the very last uh, iteration, the very last generation of the MetaQuest devices, the Quest Pro, it features cameras which look inwards, which look at your face. What does that mean? That if you wink while using your headset, your avatar will wink. If you, if you smile while using the headset, your avatar will, would smile. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's the, the point we, are, we have achieved uh, right now. So I, I would say legs and everything else will, will come here sooner than later. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain that someone will crack it sooner or later. Just might not be a meta who does it. Yeah, th there's some uh, research that they, they, have, they have tried to solve this problem in, in this way. It's like they try to, to model 
or they try to find some kind of relationship or correlation between how the headset moves in 3D. Remember, this headset has some kind of sensor which detects its rotation, right? Its movement. How the headset moves, how your hands move. And hmm. from this, they, this algorithm or this model infers or predicts how your legs are placed. That's one, <laughs> that's one step forward towards uh, solving the, the problem. And then again, it's not that perfect. So there's room for improvement. But I would say it's enough for now to, to keep iterating, to keep uh, perfecting hands and, and face. And then everything will catch up, say, three to five years from now. Yeah, definitely. So is there anything on your radar in the AI data and analytics space that you think is going to become important in the next three to five years, be it in the metaverse space or elsewhere? Yeah, so so I would say uh, there are things like uh, the environment and generation. Have you heard about neural radiance fields? No, I haven't. N-E-R-F. So what are N-E-R-F? nerves also used for you can go into a room take let's say five photos mm -hmm. different angles right yeah you can input these images into this model and the model would output a 3d representation of the environment like from 2d pictures it would rebuild reconstruct the the 3d environment so what does that mean? That, that, let's ima imagine you can go to, to your favorite uh, museum, to your favorite uh, library mm. in the world, to a favorite place, park, just by using this kind of, of technology. Because if we think about the metaverse, there's so many possibilities and people can, would think, okay, but who will build this metaverse? So we need people to, to build every house, every office space, every building, right? Mm -hmm. But if we can take advantage of this technology, we can just uh, generate this kind of environment using nerves. Another thing that can be done, you have heard about prompt engineering, right? Yes. Yes, like you would <laughs> write down, please create an image of a unicorn jumping over the moon. And yeah. Okay, so, you know, Dali and all, all those friends. There's something very similar for virtual environments, for 3D spaces, where you would say, okay, please create an environment in the, in the jungle, and one, I want here uh, a pool, and this would be a hut, and in this place create, please, uh, a tree, and this and that. No, like, one would say a god mode or something like that. I want here a waterfall. So you can create worlds in, in this way. You know, not, not only about in entertainment, but maybe let's think about uh, architecture and uh, civil engineering, that kind of stuff can, can be done using this technology. That's remarkable. One, one thing I, I was speaking to someone about um, DALI, um, the DALI algorithm recently, and for listeners, that's an algorithm which basically, um, as Romeo said, um, if you... So, um, say I want an image of a unicorn it'll draw it for you and um, he was testing it for the organization that he worked for and he said one of the things I was scared about 
with regard to implementing it was what happens if someone asks it to draw something offensive or inappropriate? Um, is that going to give the end user back some offensive image that possibly violates some sort of regulation? So I can imagine that would be a limitation of the algorithms that you were just describing. Yes, and that's exactly the reason why the very first iterations of this uh, technology, it was not available for the general public. You know, as mm. you said, there was so much potential for for abuse. And, and right now, yeah. you know, this technology has, there are many questions, unanswered questions, it, maybe even ethical concerns that have to be solved to make use of, of them. But, but then again, technology advances, there are the ethical concerns. No, both things should uh, develop at the, the same rate, at the same speed. We, we cannot afford, you know, uh, stopping or slowing down technology because we can manage as human beings to, to make sense of, of it. Well, that's my opinion. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. So what final advice would you give to data scientists looking to create business value from data or any data scientists who are looking to work in the metaverse for that matter? Yeah, so, so I would say uh, the metaverse will bring uh, a new revolution. Why or how? In the way people will interact with this kind of environments, in the way that people uh, will live, will talk with other people, the way that people will connect. Right now, we have this uh, opportunity to participate with users from all over the, the world. More than users, they are a community, you know. Right now, as I said before, chatting, interacting, sharing tips, and just doing friendly conversation. And it amazes me, you know, uh, how real life in some way can be modeled you know, after this kind of in interactions, right? And the moment that the real environment also becomes part of this experience, there's lots of data that you can make, make sense, right? The, the eyes movement, your fingers, your posture, your gesture, how you talk, and the tongue of your voice, as you said before, Jambit, talking in real time with someone else, so there's lots of data that can be taken advantage, right? You can leverage, you can use. So I would say give this technology an opportunity. I know many people would say this is not really for prime time. Some other people would say, oh, this is just, you know, a, a fad, just a, a temporal thing. But I would say there's a, a great chance, a great opportunity to, to do great great things with this uh, technology. Fantastic. Okay, so that's about all we've got time for today. Um, for listeners who want to learn about more about you or to learn more about Immersed, what can they do? Uh, feel free to, to contact me, you know, via uh, LinkedIn. You know, I know you will share the, the link in your post. Yep. Also, Immersed uh, website, you can share it so people can give it a try. If any of the people uh, listening to this podcast, uh, any of them have a headset available, the, the MetaQuest 2 or the MetaQuest uh, Pro, they can download the app. It's totally free, right? You can try it. We just 
charge if you want some kind of premium features, but the, the core functionality, it's there for you. And I will be more than happy to, to receive your feedback, to understand your, your use case. So yeah, they, it, it's there for, for you all to, to try and, and enjoy. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, it's been fascinating learning all about the metaverse. Um, there is so much more to it than I ever realized was there. No, no, it's, it's my, my pleasure, Jambib. Uh, and I'd say that's, that's the case. You know, many people uh, are not aware of where technology is, is going. I should also say that you know, Facebook has some kind of uh, reputation in the in the East industry for or for some people. That's why some for many they don't give this a, a chance. But as I said before, they are not the, the only player. There are many industries. There are many companies in this space. There are independent studios and, and companies as ours. We're trying to to do our our best. We're trying to create this kind of protocols to facilitate uh, intercommunication, interoperation. So yes, I, I'd say that the future is bright. Yeah. And for those in the audience, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and this has been Value Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting.